A super successful guy told me that he doesn't go home for holidays. He's only in his 30s, but already has made over $100 million income and is on track to become a billionaire. He doesn't go home because each time he goes home, his friends and relatives will still treat him like he used to be. Growing up, everyone has done mischievous things. And people who knows you love to remind you of those stupid moments and make you feel like the naughty little boy you used to be. To maintain a $100 million business, he needs to keep a mindset worthy of it. He cannot afford to regress mentally. I thought he was making a big deal out of it when I heard it. But after some research, I found out that he has a point. You have to give up to grow up. Even Jesus felt powerless to make any progress when he was in his hometown. Jesus said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. Luke 4, 24. It reminds me of each time I visited Burma where some people or places did take me back to my foolish days and make me feel like an imbecile. It's fine with me on the surface because the past is past. What's insidious is the subtle influences toward regression. Every time I left Burma, I told myself with tears in my heart that I would never return there again, even though I would miss the folks. The Chinese like to use two birds to describe people, pheasants and phoenixes. Some golden pheasants are extremely beautiful if you have seen them. And when they fly, they look exactly like the phoenixes you see in the Chinese paintings. However, the Chinese regard a pheasant as a wild and rustic hillbilly bird. But a phoenix is a divine bird. They may look similar, but their lives are heaven and earth apart. When I was first called to serve in the church in New York City, I told people that I was a pheasant from the hills of Southeast Asia, pastoring a congregation of phoenixes. I did not feel I deserved the position, but God has a sense of humor and mysterious reasons that we cannot comprehend but surrender. Now, when I visited Burma for the first time after over a quarter of a century living in the United States, I discovered I was no longer a pheasant that I used to be. However, the folks there still treated me as a pheasant, and I felt a pull to regress. It was not their fault. It was my choice to return to the pheasant state or stay a phoenix. I'm using this metaphor to illustrate the second step to living in heaven on earth. Last week, I talked about the first step. You must have an empty spirit like a child to receive the blessing of living in heaven on earth. Jesus said, blessed are the poor or empty in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.3. I believe that is an important message. You can review it on the church website. Some important messages need revisions to remember. Some profound messages need many revisions to understand deeper. Even I often forget what I have preached because they are not my words, but the messages from the head office given for me to deliver. 
Since our topic is about living in heaven on earth, that means we are still on earth. So we are like phoenixes in pheasant country. There is a strong magnet of regression if we are not careful. So we need to structure our lives to prevent regression so that we can constantly live in heaven on earth. Every week we come to church to gather with fellow phoenixes to rekindle our phoenix spirit. That's good, but some of us might resume the pheasant life as soon as they leave the service, unless we have developed a discipline to prevent it. So today let us explore the second step to living in heaven on earth, abandonment. You must abandon the things that cause regression from living in heaven on earth. Let's begin. Hi, in case we haven't met yet, I'm Sam Stone, the light keeper. You are the light of the world and I am the keeper. No pun intended. It's my calling to help you shine your brightest so that God is glorified in you and you are satisfied in God. Today, I want to focus on the second verse in the Sermon on the Mount. It's from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Listen to the word of the Lord. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Matthew 5, 4. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we are dealing with another encrypted statement. We can't understand this verse without the context of the entire Bible. What does it mean here to mourn? It sounds like mourning for the death of someone. The word mourn is translated from Greek, pantheo, meaning to lament over. It has a complex meaning, but when we put it in the context of the entire teaching of Jesus, it's about lamenting over the things you abandoned to live in heaven on earth. Jesus repeatedly said that you cannot live in heaven and love the world. You cannot live in the spirit and love the flesh, which is the biblical term for the ego. And you cannot walk in the light and love the darkness. You have to pay the price to live in heaven on earth. You must abandon the things that pull you back to worldly living, the things that cause regression. But you're blessed for doing that because you will be living a kingdom life and God is there to comfort you. Now let's dive right into the three abandonment that we must sacrifice to live in heaven on earth. First, abandon the ego. I know it's not easy, but the first thing Jesus did after his baptism was 40 days of fasting. The Bible says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. Matthew 4, 1 to 2. You know the story. There were three temptations, and all of them had to do with testing his ego. Jesus would fail his mission on earth if he did not abandon his ego. Even though he is God's beloved son, he must still pass the ego test to have a successful mission because he's fully human. So the Spirit of God took him to the testing ground. There Jesus prepared for the exam by fasting for 40 days before the tempter came to test him. 
Fasting is a proven spiritual discipline to eliminate the ego. It has been practiced by all major religions all over the world for thousands of years. Nowadays, many people cringe when they hear about fasting because our generation has been overfed. I've discovered that the human body is not made for three meals a day. Ever since we began eating three meals a day, since about 100 years ago, all kinds of diseases have appeared. It profits the medicine and pharmaceutical industry significantly. I have diabetes, and my father died of diabetes complications. So I've dug deep into the cause of this disease. Over the years, I've learned a great deal about how corporations have kept critical information from us and brainwashed us to fatten their pockets. For thousands of years, if not millions of years, our body has adapted to starving, not for constantly eating. A Japanese biologist recently won the Nobel Prize to, in science uh, in 2016 for discovering autophagy related to fasting. The point is fasting is not a big deal. We used to think fasting for 40 days was a miracle only Jesus could perform. But today I've seen people who have fasted longer than 40 days. Many of you know I fasted for 24 days during Lent, and I plan to try to fast for 40 full days this coming Lent. However, please don't do it alone at home. Fasting is like a muscle that needs training. You have to start with baby steps. Jesus was able to fast for 40 days because he was raised in the tradition of fasting weekly and seasonally. Now Jesus was 30 years old and he had already toned his fasting muscles to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Here's the primary benefit of fasting and it's scientifically proven. Based on my research and experiments and the testimonies of those who have done long-term fasting, we feel our ego disappears after about seven days of fasting and enter what the scientists call euphoria, a state of calm, peace, and profound happiness. I won't go into the details of fasting because it's beyond the scope of this message. For now, I want to remind you that our Lord Jesus Christ fasted for 40 days to enter the world of pheasants, which would tear the phoenix apart. His ego would have become a major obstacle for him to maintain his phoenix state and to fulfill the mission God has assigned him. Here's a good question. We do everything Jesus did. He prayed and we pray. He healed and we heal. He worshiped and we worship. He got baptized and we get baptized. He fasted. But why don't we fast? I don't know what spiritual discipline other than fasting can effectively tame our ego. In any case, if you want to live in heaven on earth, abandon your ego, whatever it takes. You can mourn and lament over it, but you cannot surrender. You'll be blessed for doing it. Secondly, abandon the company. After returning from the 40 days of fasting, Jesus started preaching in his hometown. 
People were impressed by his words, but they did not appreciate his teaching because they knew him as the carpenter's son in town. Based on some passages, they insinuated him as a bastard because rumors spread that Mary was pregnant before she officially married Joseph. They couldn't accept someone like him that they despised becoming a prophet. The Bible says they even tried to kill him by pushing him off the cliff. Jesus said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. Luke 4:24. That explains why the hometown folks could be toxic. They are good folks as long as you are like them. If you have risen up to a higher level, they might not accept your new identity. They are pheasants, and they want to keep you a pheasant. If you have become a phoenix, they will tear you apart. Normally, you might think that they might be proud of you as a hometown boy made good. I'm sure some do. Your parents and siblings will be proud of you, but not everyone. Therefore, you must be aware of the company you keep and know whether they are pulling you down or lifting you up. How do you know they lift you up? By believing in you and encouraging you. Their unbelief could stifle your success and cripple the miracles you could do. The hometown folks of Jesus did not believe in him. And the Bible says, And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Mark 6, 5-6. Did you hear that? Even God could not do anything among the unbelief. Even God was amazed at their unbelief. If God cannot do any deed of power among the unbelief, what do you think you can do? You become powerless among the unbelievers if you stay there for long. You find yourself regressing from a phoenix to a pheasant. There was a time when Jesus' mother and brothers came to take Jesus home to stop him from preaching because he was embarrassing them. Jesus renounced them by saying, only those who did the will of God were his mother, brother, and sisters. It sounds harsh and disrespectful, but Jesus was setting an example for us to leave no room for regression because if you fail, the whole world would be cheated. You remember Abraham was tested by an order to sacrifice his precious only son that he waited for a hundred years to have. Most people did not understand this story thinking it was barbaric, but it was much deeper than it seemed. Abraham was commissioned to establish the next civilization of heaven on earth. He would be disqualified to be the founding father of the Judeo-Christian nations if he was reluctant to abandon anyone, anything, or any land, no matter how precious they were for him. Imagine his lament as he walked up the hill with his son for sacrifice. I'm sure Jesus mourned as he left his hometown and preached in other towns and villages. That's a price you have to pay for a life of heaven on earth. You might burn painfully like a phoenix into ashes 
but God will comfort you and raise you up again to continue living a phoenix life. Thirdly, abandon the possessions. Any possessions that keep you from living in heaven on earth must be abandoned. The Christian practice of offering is to show that we control our possessions instead of letting our possessions possess us. In ancient times, it was called sacrifice. God wants people to sacrifice their first fruit from the crop and firstborn from the flock to show that we can abandon them to move on. The story of Cain and Abel teaches us the important lesson of sacrifice. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. Even though the record was not clear, it seems that Cain's sacrifice was not very willing. Abel offered the firstborn of his flock, the best of the best, but Cain offered only some of his crops, not necessarily the best. It means his attachment to his earthly possessions keep him from heaven. The Bible says, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Hebrew 11:4. Cain's sacrifices of the less than top quality product proved his lack of faith. Then he murdered his brother out of jealousy and became the first murderer of human history. We all have read the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked him how to attain eternal life, which is the life of heaven on earth. Obviously, he was not satisfied with his life despite his abundant possession, power, and prestige. Jesus asked him to sell his possessions, give the money to the poor, and follow him. It was like a litmus test on whether he controlled his possessions or his possessions controlled him. He failed the test and left with a heavy heart. The more possessions you have, the harder it is to abandon. That means the more possessions you have, the more mental muscles you need to give them away. Again, it's like fasting. You need practicing. If you haven't practiced offering a small amount, it becomes harder and harder as you possess more. That's it for today, and I hope you can take your second step to living in heaven on earth by abandoning the ego, the company, and the possessions, and anything that makes you regress from heavenly living. You'll be blessed with God's presence, power, and peace, and comfort. I hope you find this message illuminating as much as I enjoy receiving from the head office. Until we meet again, keep your light shining brighter and broader and harvest the fruit of profound happiness. Amen. Bye now.